Welcome to Left Foot. We invite fresh conversation on business development. Now here's your host, Nicole Giantonio. Our guest today is Terry Combs, a commercial and securities litigator with the law firm of Figure Baker Daniels, an AM Law 100 firm with approximately 700 lawyers. Terry serves as a member of the firm's management board and prior to that ran their Des Moines office. Welcome to Left Foot, Terry. Thank you. I'm very happy to be here. When Terry moved from New York City to Des Moines after practicing on the East Coast for 11 years, she needed a plan to keep her Wall Street clients and grow her business in spite of the distance between her and the Fortune 500 organizations that make up her practice. Terry, I've given our listeners a bit of information on your background and your current role. Is there anything you'd like to add or anything about your personal life you'd like to tell us? No, I mean, I grew up in the Midwest and I was looking for a way to come back after 11 years, as you say. Um, I'm what I, I think one of the wonderful things about being here has has been I, I don't think I ever thought it would turn out this way that I would be able to maintain a practice at a higher level and at the same time live within the city limits and have 13 acres and a couple of horses and uh, be 15 minutes away from work. And so I feel very fortunate uh, in that regard. Well, let's jump into the questions. I'm, I'm happy to have you with us. Are there any strengths or habits that you have personally that you think has helped in your business development efforts? Um, well, I think I'll back up just a little bit to talk about uh, kind of respond to your introduction about my coming here and have needing a plan to keep up my practice. I think when I came here, my assumption was I would probably go, you know, away from that practice. Uh, New York is very financial services industry, Wall Street oriented. I knew that Des Moines, Iowa certainly wasn't. Um, what happened was once I got here, I, I had a client that I thought was going to keep me, you know, primarily busy. And I thought I would learn new areas, maybe become more, you know, agriculturally oriented. We have a big ag practice here. Um, but what happened was as I uh, got here, a couple of things. One, the client that I brought with me ultimately was acquired and went away, and I really needed to work harder to develop my practice. Um, and I realized that Des Moines happens to be a center of financial services activity in the form of insurance companies. And they had much more securities work and were growing into conglomerates right at the time that I came here. So uh, to some extent, it was fortuitous that we chose to come to Des Moines and happened to sort of coincide with work that I had already been doing in New York. I think that happens more often than we think, right? We get to someplace new and uh, there's something that exists that just wasn't apparent, you know, when we were reviewing that place or, or that next move. So tell me a bit more about your tactical work. I mean, is there something that you do tactically in your practice that helps you retain your clients, attract new new clients that you could convey to our listeners? Um, you know, I don't think I have anything that, that is sexy or different. Um, I, I, you know, I think I'm, a, I have, I'm able to, um, hold myself out rightfully as someone in this area who has expertise 
that is more specialized and experienced that I think gives me credibility in a way that I wouldn't have if I had not, you know, been in New York for a period of time. I, I make a real effort to travel, to go to the top, you know, associations and meetings and uh, trade association, whatever I need to do to make it clear that I am still very actively involved and engaged, even though I live in Des Moines, because I wouldn't have credibility credibility if I didn't. And I think conversely, with respect to practicing for clients that might be located elsewhere on the coast, um, I can hold myself out as someone that can deliver that expertise, but also value. Um, I think probably one of the things that benefited me the most was the Des Moines office of Fagri when I moved here only had four people and we were very entrepreneurial and you needed to be to be here. Uh, while it was a large firm in, in Minneapolis at that point, um, you know, it, there wasn't anybody in Minneapolis that was going to really think about me and send me lots of business all of the time. And so I think I benefited from needing to be entrepreneurial sooner. Um, and I learned pretty early on that I wanted to make it clear to people that I was approaching for business that this really mattered to me. I needed this work. I wanted this work. I was going to try hard for it and that I wanted a long-term relationship with them. I didn't just want one piece of work in the door. I wanted to demonstrate to them that I was going to be somebody they wanted to work with for a long time. So I think if there's anything that I learned more quickly and, and certainly as a, as a woman, it was not to be embarrassed about just being very honest about that. Uh, that's why I'm calling you. That's why we're going to lunch. This is why I'd like to meet with you and not try to be friends in some way and then get, be feel awkward about getting around to saying, gee, do you think you could ever hire me? Uh, be upfront about that. And that shows your credibility and professionalism. And that's what hopefully your clients are looking for anyway. A lot of great information in there and, and, and points that I definitely want to dive into if we can. I do want to go back even to what you said about the insurance industry. So, if, you know, if there's a, a story or a, an experience that you can share with our listeners about how you broke into that industry uh, once you got to Des Moines. And then also this last statement, which, of course, if you want to address that first, I think it's so critical to our listeners, many of whom are our women, are starting out in their career, our millennials and, and beyond that idea of getting comfortable in, in really asking or, or really just stating your intentions about why you're asking to meet. So if you could address both how you got into the insurance space in Des Moines and then where you learned that, hey, making it very clear as to why you're meeting is going to be helpful in, in really acquiring business and frankly, just feeling more comfortable about the process. Um, how I got into the insurance industry? Well, first of all, the pe the people that I joined here in at Fagri in Des Moines had relationships with people in the insurance industry. They did not do securities litigation, um, and I was able to be introduced to folks in the insurance industry. Um, with respect to that. I also in New York did a fair amount of what's referred to as enforcement work. I worked for someone who came out of the SEC and learned about uh, regulatory enforcement work and administrative law. And when issues like that came up, people began to refer work to me because they knew that I had 
that background. So I, I you know, it's, I don't have a great answer for that other than right about the time that I got here, uh, at the same time as I got here, insurance companies were buying broker dealers, investment banks, banking, you know, activities they started to get involved in. Um, they started I- issuing products in the insurance, uh, variable annuities is an example that is th- their securities. So they didn't have as much uh, experience working with federal regulators and uh, self-regulatory organizations such as FINRA, which used to be called the NASD, um, and the Securities Exchange Commission. They were much more you know, very adept at working with the state insurance regulators. And conversely, the state insurance regulators were less experienced, I think, on the security side. So once I sort of became known as somebody who had experience with respect to that, I was right across the street. And and that was different than somebody that, you know, normally the, the folks here were going to need to call somebody uh, you know, in a big city far away who, were, who was going to fly in. In addition to that, I wasn't just part of a, you know, four or five member office. So I wasn't just saying, hey, I have this little bitty office and I have this experience that I got in New York and I can do this. Don't worry. I could also market myself and represent truthfully, that there was a whole team of people that I could draw on if necessary. I mean, there was one situation where I believe at one point we had a very massive uh, investigation ongoing for a particular client, uh, and the investigation was coming from the East Coast. And I believe at one point we had 30 uh, lawyers or legal professionals on the ground here from several of our offices, Denver, Minneapolis, uh, and I was lead counsel on it for that investigation. So again, I was the, I think at one point I was the only person in Iowa who was uh, a member of what is now referred to as SIFMA, it was then called the Securities Industry Association. So I had, you know, credibility as somebody that could deliver both of those things that, that the clients uh, needed. Uh, you're your second question was, how did I get comfortable asking for the work? Um, well, I think part of that was because it just – it personally in my life, I, I when I got here, I realized – especially when this client went away and people in, you know, our big offices were not going to be calling me every day saying, hey, do you have something to do? Do you want us to, you know, when I started realizing I've got to to be successful here, I have got to build a practice. Um, And I don't know anybody in Iowa. Well, I guess another thing I would add there is one of the other things I learned when I got here was everybody in Iowa already knows everybody in Iowa. And a lot of them all you know, went to the University of Iowa together. So to the extent that there were particular people who were potential clients that they wanted to approach, everyone in town were all, you know, looking to approach that same person. Um, But I knew people that nobody in Iowa knew. And they weren't in Iowa. They were in New York or wherever it was they happened to be now. And so I, as, you know, the person in Iowa that all of those people knew outside of Iowa, I I had a unique niche or niche, if you will, um, with respect to that. So uh, a lot of those people were former 
colleagues and friends that I knew very well. So A, I knew they knew I was a very good lawyer, that I worked hard, that I would do a great job. So I, I already had a reputation of credibility with them. We, we were often friends, perhaps. Uh, and so it would be fun to keep in touch and work together. So we had that as well. Uh, but in addition to that, I think I felt more able to be honest with them, perhaps, and by, you know, calling them up and saying, hey, I, you know, I want to make this work. I don't want to move back east. Um, I want I want to be here. I had we had two children at that point. Um, and so I think I was just more comfortable being up front with them and saying, hey, I want to do this work. What you know, here, here's what I'm trying to build and here's what I'm willing to do. And I made it very clear I will take it on myself if there's traveling involved, whatever has to be done. You know, I'm there. I'm going to do it. Um, but also, I think it's just a question of how, how do you feel comfortable? I mean, I, I I had a young woman here come and talk to me about developing business. And she said, you know, I know this woman and she's a good friend and I'd like to have take her out to lunch. You know, I, I, I knew her in school, like maybe she hadn't talked to her in a couple of years and she's now someone who would be a potential client. And she's like, how do you, you know, do that? And I, I realized that, you know, to me, when I am most uncomfortable is if I, we're all kind of being nicey nice, like we're pretending like we're friends. And so we're going to go, you know, let's go to some, I don't know, entertainment event. You know, if it was guys, they'd go to a game or go play golf. But what you really are doing is you would like to have work from these people. Yeah, it'd be great if you could be friends down the road. But that's what makes you feel uncomfortable is you're asking them how their kids are and asking them what schools they go to and all this nice stuff. But at the end of the day, what you really are hoping for is to develop business with this person. I felt hypocritical um, trying to approach people that way and uncomfortable. And, and, and I think they probably are too. I mean, so I just, I've, I felt much better and got much more successful when I just started saying, Hey, I would like to come and talk to you. I, you know, I'd like to have lunch with you. I, I, I just really making no bones about why I'd like to have lunch with them or talk to them. And if they don't want to, they'll, they'll let you know, or most times they're perfectly happy to talk to you. Um, so that, that's the advice that I have given to people is don't, you know, I even jokingly said one time to, uh, someone who, uh, how do I put this? You know, I got a lot of friends, you know, I got plenty of friends. I, I really need a client. And, um, so if I have to choose between, you know, approaching you to be your best friend or, you know, uh, to be a client, I, you know, I'm looking for you to be a client. Um, and, and not, not in any way is that meant to be that I don't care about people. It's just being forthright uh, and, and straightforward. And I think, again, credibility is everything. And um, I am very good friends with a number of clients that I work with. And that relationship got built up over years um, on an honest basis. So fantastic. I have to say this whole idea of, you know, people thinking that they want to create professional friends. I mean, it I agree with you. Most of my professional friends came after successfully working with them on business projects. And the relationship started as a business to business relationship where they had an improvement or um, a business issue they were working with. And 
my firm or the firm that I represented had the opportunity to, to assist with that. And then over time, you know, we might have developed a friendship, you know, where, where we're talking about other things or enjoying, you know, a dinner occasionally around the holidays, et cetera. But that was not the intention of our relationship at the beginning. It was one that was professional. And, and I do think that's a more modern approach to business development. It's let's talk about how we can do business together and, and really how, you know, if I can, or the firm I represent can help make an improvement, solve a, solve a business issue, um, help you with that next step um, and go from there. So Terry, great, great information. And, and really, I love the fact that, you know, we want to make statements where people can say, yeah, I agree with that. Or, you know, that's what I've been telling my leadership. It's not about making professional friends. It's about business. But I'd love to, if we could dig into, you know, how the industry has changed, how professional services has changed since 2008, since the economy has has done some uh, backflips here. Have you seen that change and have you changed your approach with your clients since the market has changed? Yes, I've seen a change and. Um, I don't know if I have changed my approach with clients. I, I think what it's incumbent upon all of us to do in whatever profession we're in is, of course, adapt to whatever changes are going on and make it very clear that we are willing to do that. Um, what, what I have learned in dealing with certainly corporate clients who have, you know, I'm a, I'm a litigation attorney and I deal with in-house counsel generally as my client contacts is they are under immense pressure themselves and they, they may have a new CEO or a new general counsel and, you know, what, you know, whatever the latest, you know, uh, fad, I don't want to say fad, that's the wrong word, but you know, whatever it is that's going on within their company, they have to abide by it and they have to demonstrate that they're going to be willing to, to abide by it. I can push back all I want on some of their initiatives, but that isn't going to help me. And if I'm not going to, if I'm not going to help them, then, then they can't use me. Even if they like me, they have been given instructions. So, um, and, and they have to work within whatever the confines are that they have to work within. So if they have a new e-billing system, then we have to we have to operate within their e-billing system. If they have if data security has become their number one issue, and it is for many clients right now, we've got to demonstrate how we're going to abide by those policies. Um, if they if we have issues where we have to work them out, then we have to be proactive in helping them get to a solution in, in how we're going to handle it. And, and of course, there's budgeting, there's discounting, there's regular reporting, there's alternative fees, um, there, there's different pricing. I mean, all of that is expected by the clients. And I think it's really important to be able to demonstrate, I get it. And I know that you're looking for me to demonstrate a way where we're going to be proactive and progressive with respect to you. And we're going to do that. Um, and I, I certainly think clients, when I have done it, they have liked it. So yes, market conditions have changed. At this point, I'd love to give you the opportunity if you have a certain success story where you went out and acquired new business, um, signed a new client, or a story where you you know, we're hoping to sign a new client and, you know, there were some twists and turns. If you could share one or two of those stories, it'd be helpful to our listeners. I have through being introduced by my partners to 
people with whom they had a relationship, potential clients. I have certainly, um, you know, been involved in making presentations to those clients where we, where we have obtained the work. That That is definitely true. Um, and I, as I said previously, by being able to demonstrate that I am um, qualified to do the work here, they don't need to go get somebody in New York or Chicago to do the work. Um, I think that I have had a, a substantial amount of success. And of course, you know, having success, uh, winning a trial, winning a jury trial uh, helps you. And especially if you have won it outside of your jurisdiction, you know, they always say an expert is somebody from out of town. And um, so if I want to say you don't need to hire somebody to come in because I, I'm more worldly than simply a Des Moines, Iowa person, uh, being able to demonstrate that I think helps. Um, so I, I don't know. It's it's a way of being able to say, you know, I'm not I'm not going to start crying if there's a lawyer from New York on the other side. I know a lot of them. You know, I have been with them. So um, an express example, I think, is really more the one I gave you when I first got here, where I really started calling people and spending a lot of time uh, talking to them about what I was hoping to do and making a decision that I was going to continue my securities and M&A practice here is is I think my best success story. Um, I have certainly had other instances where I thought we might not have gotten off to the right on the right foot. I, I've had a couple of cases with respect to that. One where um, an in-house attorney at a very large large company that had an issue in Iowa, but but he was not from Iowa. I don't know if you'd ever been to Iowa. Um, and it was very clear. He made it very clear to me that I was not his choice for handling the matter. And he was extremely difficult with me from the get go and really critical. And, you know, do we have a plan? Do we even know what we're doing? I mean, a lot of comments like that. Um, and I actually at some, I, I, at one point finally said, you know, I really don't think you're comfortable with me. You, 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 I just don't know that I'm the right choice for you. It's, it's, it's quite clear. And, uh, I, I, I think we should maybe rethink whether we ought to be doing this together. Uh, and it was the best thing I ever did. And I was scared to death when I did it, but it really made him sort of back off a little bit over the years as we Again, we were forthright with each other. We talked through uh, in an honest, sort of credible way what the situation was. Uh, we did a, we did a ton of work together, and he invited me to uh, join what they ref this company referred to as their roundtable of defense lawyers. And I would go to their national meetings, and um, you know, it was just amazing to me when I first started working for him. I certainly never thought that that's that's what would happen. So I I consider that a I consider that a success story. One other that I will tell very quickly, um, I was involved in a, in a litigation that just became so expensive and it was such a problem for the client and, and it was lasting years and our adversary was appealing and doing all kinds of things and making cost even more. And our client clearly was so frustrated with it that I think they really were about to just throw up their hands and walk away. And at that point, I felt like we were close to um, 
getting a, a hopefully dispositive decision of the case. And I hated for them to walk away at that moment because I knew if they did, they were going to be so unhappy and have such a terrible taste in their mouth for all the money they spent to no avail. So I came up with an alternative fee proposal and said, look, I, I want to get you from A to B and here's what we're willing to do in order to do that and made a proposal that gave them a fixed amount that they knew they weren't going to have to spend any more than X until we got to, you know, point Y Um, and then built in, you know, success fee and all of that for our firm in the event that we, that we were successful and they loved that. And, uh, and so they did stay with us and then we went on and we won. Um, and so that ended up being another great relationship that we had. And I think, I think the lesson there was I saw that they were very unhappy and I knew that I needed to figure out how to do something that was going to help them, uh, with the problem that they were facing. Fantastic. Those are both great stories and and a great lead into our next question, but do you want to just emphasize, I mean, that idea of when you were working with the client and you sensed it wasn't going well in both situations, right? The first one you pushed back and they responded appropriately and, and, you know, heard you pushing back to them. And clearly you were saying, and very directly that, you know, things needed to change. And I think you gain respect a lot when that happens. And, and I've had that experience myself and suggested it to others, you know, that by pushing back, you tend to build a bond with the person because they realize that, you know, you are aware of what is taking place. And, and of course, in the second situation to really, um, show your, um, you know, express concern about the cost and, and look for alternatives. I mean, what a fantastic way to, you know, partner with your client. And, and it really leads to the next question, which is about a trend that, uh, we're seeing in professional services that I've had many of the um, interviewees talk about on left foot is that value pricing or looking at alternative ways of pricing, not just retainers, but almost fixed fee or appropriate fee pricing for different situations, that that is becoming more a topic that general counsel at different firms want to talk through and build into their contracts. So my question, Terry, is have you seen that? Are you a comfortable with that type of pricing? Is it something that your firm is supporting? You know, what's been your experience with alternative ways of, of pricing services? Yes, we're comfortable with it. Yes, we, I, I think our firm has been quite, um, progressive in that regard and, um, ahead of time, you know, ahead of the game a bit in, in proposing what we refer to as, you know, alt fees, um, and I really like them because I, I I hate the insinuation. I hate whatever tension there may be out there that the client might be wondering why we're making a recommendation or, or that there, we have some conflict because we have some incentive to just bill more hours at a higher rate to make more money. Um, and I don't I, I'd like to take that off the table. And frankly, I, I want to just do what I need to do to win. That's what I want to do. And I, I don't want the client to worry that whatever it is I'm recommending is uh, how much it's going to cost or whatever. Ideally, you know, those of us who wanted to become 
trial lawyers or litigators, I mean, you know, kind of refer to it as once you're in, you're in, you know, you, you got to do what you got to do in order to prevail. And so if you have a, an alter, alternative fee arrangement or a uh, fixed fee or a cap fee, or there's lots of different types of ones that you can do, that helps you just be able to relax a bit and just work on the case and do it the way you want to do it uh, without that tension being there. Um, clients don't always want that. And sometimes it is very hard to do, uh, if you are defending someone in a, in a case, a lot of times depends on the type, whatever the type of case is, um, because it's so unpredictable and it's very hard to have an upside. You know, the upside is, you know, it, they go away at the end of it and you don't owe the money. If you are, you know, going for money, if you happen to be the person on the side who is owed, you know, gazillions and you're working to get money, that is a much easier, um, I think, way to to price it out because you can build in some sort of fixed fee and you can have a success fee at the end, which the client is more than happy <laughs> to pay you if you're successful because, but because they have gotten money. Um, so I think the defense side is more difficult, but it is certainly, you know, the more you do it, the better idea you get for how much something is going to cost. And some of our clients are large, large enough that they have, a, they have a very good idea of how much something is going to cost. And they're going to, uh, they're going to work with us on that. I mean, I will also add, I don't think clients want us to undershoot those um, those alt fees either, and they will work f with us both ways. I mean, it's kind of like if you hire somebody to do construction on your house and they way underbid the job, um, you start to worry that they're they're cutting corners or they don't want to pay attention to your job because um, they're losing money on it. And I think there is also an aspect of that when you're handling you know, legal work for, for a company, if they, they, they don't want to feel that, you know, you're not going to, you know, you're going to cut corners or something either. So yes, we do it. And we are constantly trying to analyze how to do it better every day. No, I, I understand. And, you know, those points you were making, about wanting the client to want to feel that you're giving them the appropriate amount of attention. You know, most clients we find want to pay, you know, they value the services when they do value the services, they want to pay a, the appropriate price. Right. And they're not, that's not really the issue, right? The issue is if they feel that they're not getting a good value, if they're not getting the appropriate amount of attention and, and support and representation. Um, that's when they start to say, Hmm, you know, you know, I want to make sure that from a price value perspective, you know, we're, we're in alignment, um, with the professional services team that they're working with. We spoke about this in our pre-recording discussion about whether you instruct that your team, your office, the, the folks in your practice to really look at business and look at the opportunity cost of chasing business that will likely not um, become business for your firm. Do you have a formal process to do that? Is it something that your team consciously does to make sure that if you're going to spend time uh, respond to a request for information, a request for proposal that you've really evaluated that piece of business before responding? 
I don't know that we have a formal uh, program for doing that. Certainly in the alternative pricing arena, that comes into play all the time because uh, we do have a formal process with respect to alt alt fee proposals. And we have folks who are experts in pricing who are assisting us in doing that. And the, and the opportunity cost of that comes in in, in analyzing that and, and, and simply the cost of even handling it. But on a more formal basis, there are a number of ways that we, we are approaching that. Um, we, we have organized the firm along uh, industry teams that are um, based upon an analysis of the firm's most, their deepest benches, the heaviest amount of practices that we have. Uh, we have a very large financial services industry practice, for example. We also have a very large agricultural practice I mentioned before. Um, so those are industries. We have a very large drug and device practice. We have deep roots with clients in those areas. So we have teams of people who are organized um, according to their knowledge of the industry and their expertise in that industry, regardless of whether they're a corporate lawyer or a transactional lawyer or a banking lawyer or litigator. And when we get together, we are better able to define what our overall expertise is and conversely, where we don't have it. And certainly in the financial services arena, you know, it's, it, it, there, are, there are a number of areas where it's so highly specialized. Uh, I mean, there, it's very difficult to find people um, sometimes globally that have certain uh, expertise. So, when we pick initiatives from from on our in industry teams, we try to attune or align those initiatives to what our what's who who's sitting on our bench and what we know we're really good at. Again, it goes back to credibility. It's it's really penny wise and pound foolish to go pitch something that you you don't really have any business doing. I, I don't know why anybody would do it and who you think you're kidding. So. Um, Long answer to your question, Nicole, I don't know that we have a formal process other than we are certainly talking about that daily. I, I will also say by doing what we're doing, pr prioritization analysis, if you will, of where our real strengths are and how do we build on those strengths, I think by definition, you also look at um, where you don't have that and how much do you want to you know, emphasis, effort, cost, investment, do you want to place on that? Excellent. Excellent. Good, good advice. And, and on that topic of advice, you know, most of our listeners are uh, millennial, mobile, and, and are trying and, and want to work globally. Any advice that you could share with our listeners that they could embrace? Well, the advice that um, I I give on a almost daily basis to new attorneys here and young professionals is own your own career. Don't sit around waiting for somebody else to start thinking about, uh, you know, what you need to, it, it's, it's, it's the same as the story. You know, I realize I'm sitting in Des Moines, Iowa and, and nobody is worrying about what, what am I doing for Terry today? Terry has to worry about what, I, what's going to happen to Terry. And I think, uh, every you know, I think our, our millennials are clearly more entrepreneurial because the world has changed and they see opportunities there, but they still need to, even if you go work for a big law firm or a big corporation or wherever you go, you need to be analyzing 
Am I getting where I want to get? Where is it I want to get? And if I'm not getting there, what am I doing about that? Um, as opposed to seven, eight years, nine years from now, blaming someone else, you know, who promised you something that wasn't delivered, you know, that may be, it may be someone else's fault, but you're still the one sitting there without the, you know, developed practice expertise, whatever it is that you were hoping for. Um, and we, we talk about looking for what we call open space. Um, where are the opportunities, wherever you are, where are they, where do you see a need and, and, uh, you know, go, go towards that as opposed to, again, not owning your, your, your career and really, you know, seeing what's going on and doing something about it. Fantastic. Great advice. Great comments, Terry. I really appreciate that. And, and really all of your comments in our interview today. At this point, I'd love to give you an opportunity if you want to share anything with our listeners about your journey. I went to law school. I think a lot of people in my generation went to law school because we thought, you know, it would be a, um, you know, it would be a nice, comfortable living. We weren't, we weren't hoping to get rich, but we wanted to have a nice life. But I also, of course, really, I really very much wanted to be in the courtroom. I never thought about being a salesperson. I mean, I thought that was sort of an abhorrent abhorrent thing, and uh, I certainly would never stoop to that. Um, And I, you know, I think what I have learned, you know, is sales is a part of everything. It doesn't matter what you do, um, there is an aspect to it where you're going to have to market, sell, whatever the word it is. You know, you, you have to have somebody who wants whatever it is that you have to offer. You know, I remember um, meeting someone who became an author and he he left the legal profession to be an author. And I thought, wow, what what a wonderful thing. Now you get to, you know, write books. And he said, oh, well, the big thing about it is you have to travel around to all these things and sell the book. You know, you have to get someone to buy the book. Um, You know, you're not just inherently discovered as a, as a wonderful author. So I suppose that is the thing that I have I have learned um, that there's there's really no escaping that aspect of it. Um, and the other thing that I will say really quickly is um, the thing that I think that is different about what you do in, in sort of the professional services side, certainly litigation, than maybe just sales and selling a product and making sure your client is happy with the product and you deal with problems is that um, – is certainly in what I do, you, you can be dealing with people in extremely stressful situations that are highly personal to them. And, uh, and you may be involved with those people for many years. And I think that that's where I would say it's been very gratifying is developing relationships with those people um, can be a, a really wonderful and immensely rewarding experience when you hopefully help them in some way. Well, thank you, Terry. It's been a pleasure having you as a guest on Left Foot. Wish you all the best. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Thank you for listening to this episode of Left Foot. Be sure to visit www.leftfoot.net to access show notes, sign up for our weekday series, and embrace what it means to lead with the left foot. 